Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Long drive back from Lexington yesterday. Very, very long drive back. So what do you guys want to talk about? You want to talk about the new Skid Row record, which is excellent. We can talk about that. I'd probably rather talk about that than this ball game, this dog of a ball game we had on Saturday. But we're going to break down the game. It's not going to be fun. It's disappointing. The first disclaimer I'll give you is that I really believed that Mississippi State was ready to take the next step as a program. That's what I believed. I believed that for the better part of a week, week and a half. I said, you know what? Kentucky's struggling. We're playing well. We should go up there and win. I was wrong. I was wrong. We didn't win the game. 
we weren't ready to take the next step. And now we're all kind of dealing with the emotion and disappointment of that. It is very disappointing. Now, I'm not going to sit here and have a pity party today, but we're going to be very honest and frank about things. And I've gotten some answers to a couple of burning questions that you guys have. I'm going to share that with you as well. There's a lot that I could rant about today, but I'm, I'm going to do my best not to. But I'm also not going to sit here and tell you, oh, it's all okay. It's not okay. It's not. We lost a ball game that we should have won. And that's the second time this year we've had that conversation. You know, and here's the thing, too. And I wrote about this because I couldn't go to sleep after the ball game. I kept telling myself, Steve, observe the 24-hour rule. Don't get out there and do, say, or write anything while you're in the emotion of the moment. But I couldn't sleep. So I got up and I wrote a column, ran it on jeanspage.com, about how we stumbled taking the next step. And, of course, you, you can't be negative enough for some people. You can't be positive enough for some people. And so I'm just going to be me and shoot from the hip today and tell you exactly how I feel about things. Some of you will agree. Some of you won't. I'm okay with both because I know deep down we all want the same things, and that's for Mississippi State to win and be successful in all fields and courts of play. We did not play to our ability on Saturday. And give Kentucky some credit. They came out and whipped us. You can't sit there and explain that away. They were the more physical team on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and they whipped us. They won the game. It wasn't as simple as like the LSU ball game because the LSU game you can kind of reconcile a little bit and say, well, I know they have the greatest home field advantage in all of college sports, and they do. I I venture to say that a night game at LSU is probably the most difficult undertaking that any team in college football takes on. That said, we should have won that ball game. Well, we have seven drops in the game. We muff a punt inside the 15-yard line. We're up after three. We had that dismal fourth quarter. But you could kind of like wrap your mind around that a little bit and say, you know what? I kind of get it. Yeah, we lost the game. They didn't just beat us. We lost the game. If we go out there and execute, show some consistency, we win that game. I think that's a fair assessment. Despite the fact that we've taken some great teams to LSU and come home with a loss, that's a ball game we should have won. You look at this Kentucky game, it's completely different. You can't say, well, we didn't do this, we didn't do that. Hey, we went out there and we did this and they beat us. It's as simple as it can be. They beat us. Will Levis got knocked out of the game, came back. It was a different game after he came back. And I think the team really rallied around him. He took a huge shot. We did get some pressure on him. We, we probably didn't get enough. And part of that is because of the fact we couldn't win on first down. You know, they're getting manageable first down yardage, which puts them in second and medium or second and short. We couldn't get them in obvious passing downs. We did run blitz a little bit, and we did get in his face a little bit. But by and large, they managed the game better than we did. Even when we were ahead, it didn't feel like we were ever in control. It felt like, that, hey, when we got that big fumble, we kind of dodged a bullet. And we just kind of sparred with them for a while, and eventually they started hitting us with some haymakers, and we were just kind of powerless to stop. But it's kind of like a good boxing match where somebody just keeps jabbing, 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 jabbing away. And then eventually you tire down, and next thing you know, they throw that right cross, and they knock your butt down. That's what happened in the ballgame. game. 
And to be quite honest with you, it should have been worse than the score was. They were a lot better than us on Saturday night. Now You can say, well, you know what? We were the better team coming in, and there's no doubt about it. We'd won three in a row, put up 40 points or more. They were struggling. They should have lost three in a row. They didn't. They lost the last two. And we can sit here and say, well, we were the better team. You know what? We were on paper going in, but here's the the thing about that. When you compete, what happens on the field determines who's better and who's not. And Kentucky is better than us because they beat us on the field, and it wasn't some fluky thing. Despite the fact they trailed in that ballgame early on by three, three points, the reality of it is they're better than us. And that's what stinks, because I think so many of us believe that, hey, you know what, we're going to go win this ballgame, we'll be 6-1, and one, probably be in the top 10, going to lose to Alabama, but at least we'll go out there and maybe compete. And that's what I think is so disappointing and frustrating about this, is now it's like, you know, we're not as good as we thought we were, we're not as good as we hoped to be, and now we've got to deal with this. And now instead of us probably punching a ticket to a Florida bowl game, you know, we're going to be, you know, kind of kind of like we were last year. You know, except, you know, we'll make it with a little less uh, maybe drama. We'll get bowl eligible again. But I just think we're ready to take the next step. That's the thing that's so frustrating as a fan base. It's like you begin to think, okay, you know, last year we had to chase the season. We were just hoping to get to six and extend the bowl streak. We got to seven. So we extended the bowl streak. And then really at the end of the day, we, we only had, what, th- what, three big goals last year? Get ball eligible, have a winning season, win the egg. We didn't win the egg. Then we lost the bowl game. But you looked at it, by and large, on the modest goals we had last year, we, we reached them. This year, it's going to be difficult to do. It's going to be difficult. And a lot of it goes back to this Kentucky game. Many would say, you know what, I had State 5-2 and two at this point. I didn't think we'd beat both A&M and Arkansas. And we did, which I think really kind of you know, lended a lot of uh, – credence to the fact that we were trending in the right direction and we go back up there and for the fourth consecutive year we basically have an implosion we play very undisciplined football uh, we let our emotions get the better of us and that's one of the things so disappointing is as, as mike leach called it frantic and i think that's a good way to describe it. we were frantic in that ball game we did not relax and play football I thought we had matured to the point that that was behind us. I thought maybe after the LSU ball game, we're like, you know what, hey, we got to lock in and play the best of our ability. But we didn't. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I believe you will too if you don't already. It is a absolutely fabulous love affair that I have with them. Go by and check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Have that great restaurant-quality burger. One of the fine delicacies in life that we afford ourselves is a great restaurant-quality hamburger. Uh, I like the Bryant. I like the Pimentology add bacon. I think that's the way I usually go. I like those sloppy Joe sliders, too. And many of you are like, you know what, Steve? I'm a little more health-conscious these days. You can get your hamburger on a, on a wheat bun. You can get it on no bun. You can just eat it as an entree, like a good hamburger steak. Or maybe you want that nice BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. Be sure and go check it out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas with a great new patio area. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, before we break down the game, I want to make this point too. A lot of people have said, 
You know, Steve, if, if you had been told preseason that we're going to be 5-2 and two after 7 and be ranked in top 25, would you take it? Absolutely, I would. Absolutely would have taken that. However, the information changed over the course of the season, right? It's like, yeah, if you'd say, hey, we're going to lose at OSU and lose one of those, those three. And we, we all said, hey, we got to win two of those three between Arkansas, um, A&M, and Kentucky. And we've done that. But I'm not satisfied with that, right? And I don't think we should be. And I get it, some people are trying to make me feel better. But it's like, you know, the reality of it is, is like, well, once I won the first two, I want to be greedy. And it's not like you look at Kentucky and say, you know what, hey, this is a team that should be able to kind of handle and manage the game. But they did. They did. That's why games aren't played on paper. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of who makes plays. We didn't. They did. So, yes, if I had been told beginning of the year, five and two at this point, I would have taken that. Yes. But when you look at the fact that we were trending a little more positively and the trajectory was a little more steep than maybe we anticipated, I'm not just going to sit back and say, well, okay, I would have taken that. This is about what I would have expected. No, 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 no. These are games you got to go win. Simple as that. This is a game you had to go win, and we didn't. All right, we win the toss, and we elected to receive. Interesting. I thought we'd defer there, especially when considering that their offense was expected to be somewhat limited. Turns out that it wasn't. Right out of the gate, we have some pre-snap stuff with them. It made me wonder if they weren't simulating the snap. Nobody said that, but I kind of wonder. You know, we had those issues last year, and I even made mention of that in a media interview this week. I said, what do you do? How do you prepare guys for that, you know? Didn't mention Kentucky specifically, but just talked about when you have people simulating the snap. So right out of the gate, there's offsides on Deion Walker. Made it first and five. Then he does it again. So we've, got a, we've earned a first down without even snapping the football. And I thought, okay, we're prepared for this. We're prepared for the antics that kind of happen with that Kentucky defensive line. We come out, we give it to DJ, who runs for 16 yards, and we're already at midfield. You're feeling great, right? Then we're incomplete to DJ. We're incomplete to, we're complete to DJ, this time for a five-yard loss. Probably not the best decision to throw that football. Brings up a third and 15. Then it's a false start on Cameron Jones. There was some talk back and forth about who was doing what, you know. Uh, but pre-snap penalties were a problem early for both teams. Brings up a third and 20. We throw it down to Woody over the middle. It's broken up by Jordan Wright. We end up having a punt, fourth and 20 from our 41, and we punt. And uh, he returns it out to their 21. Would have liked to have that go a little bit deeper, to be quite honest with you. It's always the case. But um, the reality of it is, is even though we didn't go out there and, uh, and put the ball in the end zone, you get a couple of first downs, so maybe you start playing field position in a game like this. Our Kentucky's first drive, the game plan was obvious, and we talked about it on jeanspage.com. We talked about it on the show. They're going to try to protect Levis. They're going to try to establish the running game, kind of limit, limit the game and shorten the game. And then also set up some play-action pass. I mean, you didn't have to be John Madden to figure that out, right? That's exactly what they come out and do. Rodriguez goes for two, then back again for seven. And they're running on the interior. And that surprises me a little bit, too. It really does. The fact that they found so much success running up the middle against a team that kind of prides itself against the run. And, you know, that's the thing, too. It's clear we're not as good against the run as we want to be. That's obvious. But they run three consecutive times up the middle and earn a first down. The first, yeah, we made them go the full three downs, but the reality of it is is they're kind of challenging us right out of the gate. 
and kind of doing what they want to do. Well, then there's a false start, puts him first and 15. Uh, McLean then goes for no yards. Now it's second and 15, and then there's an incomplete pass, brings up a third and 15. You think, okay, now we've got them in an obvious passing situation here. Let's go get after them. We do send a little heat here. Uh, not a lot. It wasn't an all-out blitz. And then it's complete for 14 yards, which makes it fourth and one. Well, now it's a manageable fourth and one. And I felt this was a real big test early in the ballgame. And it's like, you know, and I don't blame Mark Stoops at all. You're not expected to win the game. Everybody's picking against you. Vegas is picking against you. Go out there and make it happen. And they do. Fourth and one. They run off left side for eight yards. Gets the ball out to midfield and a first down. They go right back to Rodriguez again for nine. Second one, complete to Magwood, and uh, then there's a penalty there for holding. So they back them up. You know, passing wasn't a strong suit for them, but they were very timely in what they did. Now it's second and seven, and then Cavassier smoke, and, and we, he is a good complimentary back, too. There were times they tried to make him the dude. Rodriguez is the better back. And again, here we go. They run it again. It's another holding call. So we're starting to see this offensive line for Kentucky struggle early, which I felt was probably a harbinger of things to come for the Wildcat offense. But they got it going. Then it's incomplete, making it a uh, third and 17. And we give up the conversion here. That's the thing you think about. It's third and 17. Keep the ball in front of you. Make a play here. We made a play, though, but it was after the first down. They, how in the world this ball was completed absolutely blows my mind. And, again, maybe get tip of the cap to Will Levis here. But defensively, when you've got somebody behind the chains and you know they're going to have to throw the football and you allow them to throw them down the field and they convert, fortunately, Kyle Duncan forces a fumble and Joe and Green recovers. And you felt like, okay, cool. We had a chance to get out the field a couple times on this drive. We did and we finally do. State 36-yard field goal. 36-yard at the state 36, we take over there. And, guys, we're halfway through the first quarter. They're in one possession by each team, and we're already halfway through the first quarter. And it was clear they were going to, you know, trying to control the clock and keep us on the sidelines, and they did. First and 10, we complete to Justin Robinson for four, and then we're flagged for holding. Now makes it a first and 20. We hit Woody across the middle, he gets six, then we're incomplete to Justin Robinson, and then Will Rogers gets sacked, the only sack that we gave up in the game. And that and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee at the D-Lo truck stop, right? You give up one sack now in three games, which is good, but our offensive line did not play particularly well. And part of that, too, is because we, uh, we ended up losing LaQuinson Sharp, and I'll give you a quick update on that. Based on what I'm hearing, it's not expected to be long-term. He should be okay. After he got banged up, he went to the medical tent, walked off a little bit, had a bit of a limp, got on the bike and just couldn't get loose and um, did not return. So we had to do some shuffling there. Lasoya slides in, and I think under the circumstances probably did pretty well, but you got Dollar Bill then playing left guard, and and he's probably 80%, can't really move, doing the best he can. And, and, I, and I get not putting him back out there at tackle, with all that's going on out there, not to mention Nick Jones had played pretty well. I didn't think Nick played exceptionally well on Saturday. But just the one sack here, and this the sack that we give up here, uh, that's Carrington Valentine. It comes free. And I don't remember which one of the backs it was. I don't know if it was DJ or Woody, but we, we whiffed. We whiffed on stepping up there and making the play. And so the guy gets loose. We should have been able to pick it up. 
We didn't. It wasn't a schematic issue. It was just a, a mistake. We just made a mistake. Archer Trafford then, uh, you know, great punt here, 56 yards, and they return it for the touchdown. Very first guy gets blocked in the back. They call it. It's very reminiscent of the Josh Ali thing. Remember last year, Josh Ali, th this one was more egregious than the, the block in the back last year. But they return it for a touchdown, and um, it's called back. And here you're thinking, okay, okay, well, maybe this is a good thing for State. Okay, now all of a sudden, this is a flag-happy crew. Maybe that'll favor us. It turns out it didn't. But on this particular play, it nullified a big play. All right, Kentucky sets up here, and they put together a really nice drive here to run out the quarter. But Rodriguez runs for no gain, and then McLean goes for one yard. So now it's a third and nine. You think, okay, let's go get after the quarterback. And then next thing you know, it's a 31-yard gain. Now, I got texts immediately from this. People said this ball should have been reviewed. I haven't gone back and watched the game. They thought he trapped it. Maybe he did. There was not a review during the game. We didn't get a, a review in the box either. But, again, a chance to get off the field, and we don't. And not only do we let him get the first down, now all of a sudden we're up near midfield. All right, first and ten. McLean then runs for four. They come back to Rodriguez for five. Brings up a third and one. Jet and Buki Watson, a nice play here. We get him for no gain. And then they go for it again. Second time in the game, they've gone for it on fourth down. That, that was very successful for us against Arkansas. We were very good against the run on fourth down against Arkansas, not against Kentucky. Fourth and one, they get it. And this is just somebody basically challenging your manhood here. It's like, you know what, hey, it's a nothing-nothing ball game. We should be um, – Punting here, we're not going to. We're going to go for this because we believe that we can move your guys and get a yard. Turns out they get four. Uh, Will Levis runs himself on a bit of a quarterback uh, draw there. First and 10, Levis runs again. And uh, no gain there, but their flag for holding makes it a first and 20. So, again, we're getting them behind the chains. And you think, okay, let's make some things happen here. All right, first and 20, they run for no gain. Second and 20, it's a complete out. They're just dumping it out here. We're covering over the top in cloud coverage, makes it third and 17. And then they break the huddle with 12, makes it third and 22. And that runs out the quarter. And this has not been a good quarter of football. And at this point, you favor Kentucky because at least they've had the, the one sustained drive. All right, they end up punting here to open the second quarter, get a 42-yard punt. Xavion Thomas fair catches it to 13. Bit of an adventure there, but we get it done. So State takes over to our 13, and we put together a nice drive here. This is when I thought, okay, we'll settle down here. We've gone through the first quarter. Remember last year we're down 10 nothing against these guys? And again, gave up the punt return for touchdown, right? It took us a while to get going last year, and I thought, okay, well, here we go. Now we figured it out. Leach and the crew, the crew will adjust. And we go to ducking for eight, which makes it second and two. We find two loop for 10. Now we're off and running. First and 10 at the state 31. We give it to Woody, who then runs for seven. And then there's an offside penalty on Josiah Hayes of Horn Lake High School. That was on second and three since so first down then. Now it's first and 10 at the state 43. And you feel like worst case scenario, we've got a chance here to flip the field. After getting back down to our 13, we've already got a couple first downs, got 30 yards. Maybe we can flip the field here. And it's a scoreless ball game. So maybe, you know, field position is going to matter. Will then runs for two yards. He gets flushed and picks it up there. Second and eight, we go to Woody right up the middle for five. That gets it to midfield, brings up a third and three. 
We had ducking on the out route here. And uh, first down. So first and 10 now across the midfield in Kentucky territory. And you feel like, okay, we're good. This seems like kind of a drive of destiny. Dylan then runs for no gain here. And, and we struggled to run the fall, ball in the interior without LaQuinson Sharp. That's the reality of the situation. We did. That makeshift line, we just couldn't get any push. All right, second and ten, we, we completed out to Dylan Johnson for six, which brings up a manageable third and four. We find Rufus, Rufus Harvey siding there for five yards in the first down, out to the 31. And right here I'm thinking we're fixed to go put this ball in the end zone. We're dinking and dunking our way down, running a little bit. We're kind of making some things happen. First and ten, we go to ducking for two. Brings up a second and eight. Then Marks loses a yard on a rush. And this, again, we're not getting any push here. Uh, third and nine, we're incomplete. And they, they get in our face a little bit here. Which brings up fourth and nine. And then Massimo Biscardi comes out and drills a 48-yard field goal. Hayes Hammond, a long snapper. That's a change that they've made with the kicking battery this week. Talked about that in our pregame video. So it's now 3 nothing, And you felt like, okay, maybe we're okay now. Maybe we're okay. And Kentucky answers. Put a good drive together here. They weren't able to complete the drive, but they got some things going here. Touchback, and thanks for that. So first and 10 from their 25. It's complete to Barry and Brown for nine. State makes a good tackle there, makes a second one. Rodriguez and runs for six. Rodriguez back for five, brings a second and five. Then they go right back to him. Three consecutive rushes. Now it's a third and one play. And Will Levis runs for two yards to move the chains. First and 10, McLean runs for one. They come right back to Rodriguez. He ran for 13. And then they loses a yard, which makes it second and 11. They swing it out to Barry and Brown. Colin Duncan makes a nice play here for negligible game. Third and nine then in the same situation. We're playing coverage over the top. Force him, throw it underneath. We run and make a good tackle here. Jackie Matthews with the tackle. Makes it fourth and eight from our 33. They attempt a 51-yard field goal, and it's no good. And now I'm thinking, okay, we got a chance to go put this ball in the end zone and get a two-score lead here going into the break, which would be huge considering they get the ball coming out. We actually put a good drive together here. We did. We made a mistake the way we ended it, but we put a good drive together here. We take over at our 33 with a minute 52 to go in the half. We hit Rara down the field for 15. Now we're already at midfield, and I'm thinking, you know what? We have figured some things out. We're going to be good. We go down to Marks for six. We call timeout, 135 to go. Probably let a little much, too much time run off, but in hindsight, that time was more beneficial to Kentucky than it was Mississippi State. We try to go to Austin here. Jordan Wright gets in there and makes a, a pass break up. Third and four, we're complete to Austin Williams for nine. And again, at this point, I'm thinking, hey, we're, we're converting on third down. We're fixing to go put us ball in the end zone. First and 10 from their 37, we go back to them. They break it up again. Second and 10, we're incomplete again. Then there's a false start on us, but makes it third and 15. We check it down to Marks. And rather than attempt a long field goal, which would have been a mistake, we like to go for it. Honestly, I know we're there 42. Considering the down and distance and the time remaining and the way that your defense has played and the fact that we really haven't given up a lot of big plays or having to kind of methodically work it down the field, the chances of them scoring and driving the length of the field under a minute to go, virtually non-existent. But we go for it, and we're incomplete here. I still think we should have punted. I know, let's, I know, I know where we are. People are like, oh, we're no man land, no man's land. I'm just telling you, in a one-possession game, I, I kick it. I sky kick it and try to pin them in there as best I can. And then we got silly. We got silly here. Our defense, 
really lost their composure here. And, you know, a lot of times, too, like I read people sometimes that uh, have a lot of comments about football. Basically, when you're holding, a lot of times that, that is a, a, a talent issue. But this first one is on Emmanuel Forbes. Now, Dan Key is really fast. Emmanuel Forbes is fast, too, but I bet Dan Key may be able to beat him in a foot race. But we get a defensive holding call on Forbes, and it seemed like every play, we, like we, we just really assisted here in our own demise. They're complete to Rashawn Lewis, Jackie Matthews with tackle, but it's second and one. Then there's a false start. And usually when those kind of things happen, drives, drives implodes. Now it's second and five from midfield with 28 seconds to go in the half. They're complete again to uh, Rashawn Lewis, and then they flag him for unnecessary roughness. I, I thought it was a weak call. And maybe that's because I'm biased. But I thought it was a weak call. But we give him 15 more yards. Now it's first and 10 at our 26. And you feel like, you know what, the chances of them making a field goal here are pretty good. They got some time to work. They got some timeouts left. All right. And then it's uh, they go to uh, Dane Key and Decam breaks it up. However, they flag him for holding. And, again, I haven't gone back and watched this, so I don't know the validity of all these calls. So I'm not going to speak about that. Uh, but I, I thought that the unnecessary reference thing was a little bit cheap. I thought initially when I saw that flag down, I was, wasn't quite sure. And maybe you guys saw it better than I did. You know, we're up there. We're following the football, and uh, sometimes you can't see things that happen prior to the pass. Will Evanston runs for six. They call timeout, 14 seconds to go. Incomplete. Pick nearly gets in there and gets a sack. Nice effort by Nathan Pickering. And they decide to kick on third down. Their crowd booed. It is absolutely the right call. There are four seconds to go. You have no timeouts left. And so if you get tackled in the field to play, the half is over. you got to get something from it. They kick the, uh, the field goal there, and that's it. Now, another thing that we didn't do here, and I don't know who makes this decision, but they kick off to us with four seconds to go. you got to run that thing out. What's the worst thing that happens? They get you at the 10. Sometimes our best chance of scoring is a kickoff, right? And so I felt like I don't know if it was predetermined by the coaching staff. I'm not going to in no way – criticize Tulu Griffith. But in this situation here, I think what I tell them is, hey, four seconds to go, run it back. Do the best you can. Because you never know. We, we've been close to breaking a couple, and we don't. We just kind of get to the half, and maybe that's the conservative play. Maybe that's a smart play, but I'm a competitor. I'm not going to take a touchback there. I, maybe it's a 104-yard kickoff return. But what a back-breaking play that could have been. Not to say he would have brought it back, but I would have I would have told him ahead of time, run it back. Bring it, bring it out of the end zone. Let's just see what happens. But we don't. But it's 3-3 at the break. And even though they, I felt like they controlled the first quarter, I thought the second quarter offensively we began to make some plays and maybe find a sense of ourselves. And I thought, you know, we'll be okay if we can survive this first drive of the second half. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, Right. We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? I mean, times in the past, I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. 
It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet and interview and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. All right, let's get into the second half. You know, I, I saw Matt Wyatt at that halftime. I said, well, well, Matt, that was certainly a half of football. It wasn't a great half of football. I wouldn't say it was a terrible half of football because, uh, you know, we're in tie ball game. But um, it felt like we had found some things in the second quarter that gave a little bit of hope. But my concern was is that, you know, running the football, they were having some success. They weren't able to finish drives, but they were having some level of success. My hope was we'd make some adjustments at the half, be able to shut that down. And that's the thing. You start losing one-on-one matchups – you end up getting up in some trouble. So Kentucky begins touchback. And then right out of the gate, Rodriguez runs for 11 yards, again, right up the middle. That's one of those things that really surprises me, that we were giving up yards up the middle. First and 10 now at their 36. It's a short, complete pass to Barry and Brown for four. Then incomplete, Jackie Matthews with a PBU there. Nice play by him. Makes it third and six. And they hit a deep pass. They flag us for pass interference and decline the penalty. It was going to be a first down either way. Now it's first and 10 at our 27. Rodriguez runs for a one-yard loss, makes a second 11. It's complete to Jordan Dingle. State makes a tackle there, makes it third and nine. Third and nine then. Then the uh, <laughs> we make a great play by Emmanuel Forbes here to make a tackle short of the sticks. I thought they may go for it, to be quite honest with you on fourth and two. But instead, they like to kick the field goal. Matt Ruffalo is good. It is now a 6-3 lead. You felt like in some ways it was a win. We kept him out of the end zone. And then State puts together one of its best drives of the ballgame. Kind of continuing the things we saw in the second quarter, except this time we actually finished the drive. We hit Caleb Ducking for 12 here to get it out to the 37. We go to Woody Marks for 11. We're already near midfield in just two plays. We hit Austin Williams for 24, and I felt like right here we were in control. Even though we're trailing, it feels like, you know what, we're fixing to go make some plays here. Then we hit Woody Marks for 19, which makes it a first and goal situation. We're incomplete to Woody, and then on second nine, we, we get it to Marks, who gets it down to the one-yard line. And on third and one, we run up the middle for no gain, and, the, and I really thought we lost ground here. Probably should check that out of this play. But fourth and one, we go for it, and he connects with Austin Williams. And at this time, Lavis is out of the ballgame. And I'm, and I'm turning to Dave Murray, and Dave's like, I don't know, I think we should kick here. I said, you know, I kind of get it, though. It's like if, we, if Lavis is not around and they have to play with the backup quarterback here, then we have an opportunity to maybe flip the field on them. I know you can go for the tie here, but, the, you know, the football play here would say, suggest kick the field goal. 
We go for it. We hit Austin Williams for the score. The extra point is good. It is now 10-6 state. He just felt like, man, if we could just get a stop, we can make this a two-score game. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get a stop. All of a sudden, this running game really begins to exert itself a little bit, and they get a big chunk play here that really changed the complexion of the ball game. This time, we don't get a touchback. They return it out to 24. Then Rodriguez runs right for 10, comes back up the middle for 8. Back there for three more, and then a huge play off right side, and it looked like we had a chance to make a play here. We don't. And DeCamerion Richardson runs him down and tackles him at the eight-yard line, makes it a first-and-goal situation. They run Rodriguez for two, second and six. They run him back up the middle for four, brings up a third and two, and State rises to the occasion here. So one-yard loss makes it fourth and three. They could have kicked. They elected not to. They go for it and give Will Levis a lot of credit here. He finds Rashawn Lewis. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't think we were very competitive on this play. I know he did the whole shoulder fake and that kind of stuff. I don't know that that was even required. We did not cover this well at all. And uh, the receiver elevates and makes a catch there. Now it's a 13-10 to lead after, after the extra point. They kick off and Tulu is loose. 41-yard return out to the 41. It's called back for a hold on Austin Williams. You guys may have had a different vantage point. The return, the replay that we showed in the booth, it didn't appear to be much. That said, we get flagged, an untimely penalty. Now, all of a sudden, instead of it being at our 41, it's back at our 22. But again, State puts a little thing together here, but uh, – we're not able to do much with it, but uh, we, we get to drive here and complete the Robinson. Then we hit Wiley for 30. And again, I feel like, you know what, hey, this may turn into a track meet here, and ultimately we should win this. Marks then runs for three up the middle. Second and seven, false start on Justin Robinson. That's pre-snap penalties. That, that's just inexcusable at this point in the ballgame, in the season, excuse me. Makes it second and 12. We find Simeon Price. Then there's a false start on Nick Jones. Makes it third and 13. So now, instead of being third and medium, it's third and long. And then we're complete to Simeon Price for six, which makes it fourth and seven. We punt here and just couldn't get it to check up. I mean, Archer did a good job there, but uh, it's a touchback. Now we're down 13-10. And again, we have not had much success on defense. And I'm not wanting to sit here and blame a defense because we weren't getting enough support on the offense. But right here, we really needed to stop. McLean then runs off left side for 15. That runs out the quarter. So we head to the fourth quarter, down three, without the football. McLean then runs for four, which makes it a, uh, a second and six. Third and three. I guess it was on second and six. We run for three, which brings up a third and three. And then there's a, a penalty on us for holding, which makes it a um, first and ten out near midfield. And, again, I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it's a lack of talent. We were grabbing and holding a lot in the defensive secondary, and that just can't happen. First and ten, Rodriguez goes to the middle for two. They're complete to Rodriguez, and it's no gain there, so it brings up a third and medium, third and eight, I guess you could say, maybe on the, on the long side of medium. And then he hits McLean for 31 yards. Again, we just can't get off the field. We get him in obvious passing down situations, and we can't get off the field. And they flag us for holding. I thought when I saw the flag initially, it was going to be on them. Instead, it's on us. I believe it was Jordan Davis. 
you know, the guy goes up and engages like he's blocking and then tries to slip into the pass pattern, and, uh, and Davis grabs him. Spirit of the rule, it's a hold. It is. Didn't like it, but it's true. We call timeout, settle defense a little bit here, and uh, Rodriguez then immediately scores from 16 yards out, makes it a 20-10 ball game. And at this point, I was already dreading that long drive home from Lexington. Touchback on the kickoff. Plenty of time left, but you just felt like, you know what, even if we go down and score, we just, we're, not, we're, not willing, we're not capable of stopping this running game. Rodgers is complete the ducking for two. We go back, short pass to Dylan Johnson for four. And Dylan missed some time in the middle of this ballgame. And there's been some rumors out there about his health. Don't have anything to confirm at this point yet. But Dylan gets four yards there. Third and four, and it's another false start on state. This time on the left tackle again. Third and nine, and we're incomplete across the middle to Austin Williams, broken up by Deion Walker. And it's pretty clear, and maybe it's a separation issue, maybe it's a game punting issue. When we sent Austin Williams across the middle, they were all over it. How many times have you heard me say Austin Williams across the middle broken up? Like three or four times they were able to get in there and get a hand on the football. And then uh, George Jeropoulos, worst punt of the year. I didn't think it made it back to the line of scrimmage. Absolutely shanks that ball out of bounds at the 45, and it just felt like things have gone from bad to worse. Kentucky's got a chance to put us away right here. And ultimately, we get some life here. McLean runs for two, and it's incomplete to Lewis. Brings up a third and eight. They get it to Brown. We make a tackle. Jet doing the honors there. They go for it on fourth and two from our 37. Up 10 from our 37. I, I get it. And give Forbes a lot of credit. He read it the whole way. Steps in front. As soon as he picked it, you could hear an audible groan in the stadium. As he returns it 59 yards, which ties an SEC record for career pick sixes. His next one will be the new standard. So nobody in the history of the Southeastern Conference has had more pick sixes than Emmanuel Forbes. And all of a sudden, you're back in the game a little bit. It's 2017. It felt like on that fourth and two. I thought, you know what? They'll just run Arrigas at the middle here. They'll just keep going on down, and it'll be a 27-10 or 10 ball game, and we'll all be miserable. We're still miserable. It just, they just prolong that. We need to get a stop here, and we don't. This is the drive here, and, and Mike Leach made mention of this too. We talk about time of possession, but the number of plays the defense faced is really not atypical, especially considering how one-dimensional they were at this point in the ballgame. Rodriguez goes off left side for 12, they go back to smoke for six, and then there's no gain at all. Third and four, and you feel like a chance again to get off the field here. 50-yard gain. Long pass play, 50-yard gain here. Now it's first and goal, and um, Rodriguez in for the touchdown, a play later. Extra point is good. Now it's 27-17. The game is over at this point. It's just a matter of what the final score was going to be, and quite frankly, it could have been worse than it was. Rodgers complete to Marks for three. We go to Wiley for two. Brings up a third and five, and it's another false start. This time on Rara. And I don't, I don't understand this. It's one of the things, the pre-snap penalties. I don't understand. Because if it was one guy over and over again, like there were times last year, Scott Lashley was just trying to get a bit of a head start, dealing with some of those edge rushers in the league. But you've had Justin Robinson flag. You've had Rara flag. You've had Nick Jones flag. You've had Cameron Jones flag. I mean, it's just like up and down the team. That's something that can't happen. Then we throw a pick. 
to DeAndre Square. Fourth pick of the year uh, for Will Rogers. Kentucky takes over at um, at our 32. Had a chance to put it away here for sure, and they just kind of salt the game away. Rodriguez runs for one. Then there's an unnecessary – there's offsetting penalties here. Colin Duncan involved in the fisticuffs here. It's silliness, man. That's a veteran guy. He can't do it. Second nine, they go again, no gain. And then there's now there's an unnecessary roughness call on Duncan. So back-to-back plays, Colin Duncan flag for unnecessary roughness. You can't have that from a veteran guy. You just can't. I understand you're frustrated. I understand it's an emotional game. And I'm glad he cares. But that's part of the deal. And Jalen Green out there trying to kind of separate him before matters get worse. First and 10 from our 16, Rodriguez goes for four. Rodriguez goes for five on third and one. They go up the middle for nine. Jordan Davis makes a tackle, makes it fourth and one. We call timeout, set the defense, hoping to force a field goal here to, to keep some semblance of life alive. And instead, Rodriguez goes for six, nearly got in there. And then rather than push it in the end zone, they take a couple knees. So you look at the score and say it's 27-17. It's true. It is. Very easily could have been 34-17. Very easily. Kentucky wins the game soundly. And, again, you had some continuity on offense in the second part of the third quarter. But defensively, you just simply couldn't get a stop. And so it's a team loss. You can't say, well, we should have had more offense. We should have. We should have gotten more stops on defense. We should have. We actually had some decent moments on special teams, and one of those nullified by a penalty from a six-year guy. You know, it's like, you know, I get caught up in the euphoria of us actually making some kicks. It's silly, Miss Man. It's like this is to me, this is more disappointing than LSU in some respects, because like at LSU, it was about us. This one, Kentucky basically controlled the flow of this football game. We only, guys, we only had 13 first downs. Did you know that? Did you realize that? We only had 13 first downs. They had 24. They ran for 200, 239 yards. It's nuts. It really is. And, and that's the thing, too. You kind of knew going in with a bit of a gimpy quarterback, they were going to protect him as best they could, and try to get the ground game going. They absolutely did. An average five yards a carry. Mississippi State, 22 yards rushing. Now, here's the deal, too. You lose the Quinson Sharp, it makes it more difficult to run, especially with a patchwork offensive line. You got a guy, Stephen Lasoya, that's never played center in a college football game before. You got Darrell Bill Johnson out there that's uh, still not 100%. And then Dylan Johnson got hurt. Woody Marks got banged up a little bit too. But it felt like early in that ballgame, especially in that second quarter, you maybe, maybe you run a little bit more. But then you go back and look at those drives and see we were actually making some, some headway with the pass. And so a lot of people look at that and say, hey, we should have ran it more. In hindsight, I would say, I was thinking we'd be able to run the football too. They were giving us some heavier boxes, to be fair, because they were not, they were not just going to sit back and, and eight and let us just run off tackle left and right and get five yards a pop. But there were a lot of factors here that I think kind of changed the flow of our play calling in that respect. And a lot of people say, well, you know, play calling is terrible. You don't even know what play was called. You don't know what play was changed. You don't know what happened at the line. You don't know what Will saw and what maybe he audible too. 
And so I don't know that we can just say, well, the play calling's bad. When you've got a banged-up offensive line and then you lose your primary running back, even though he did come back, and hopefully, hopefully it's not something that lingers. We don't know for sure. There's some stuff out there on social media I hadn't been able to confirm yet. But if you told me we're going to run for 22 yards, I would say we lost the ball game, and we did. Passing, we threw for 203 yards. Kentucky's now allowed two teams to pass for over 200 yards. We're one of those two. I'll miss the other. Usually you, you assume we're going to get 300-plus. We get 300-plus in this game, we win the ball game. When you look at time of possession, though, and you give Kentucky – they lay down the, 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 the plan to beat us. Run the football, limit state's offensive possessions, eat up the clock. Guys, we had the football for 20 minutes and 38 seconds. No chance to find rhythm there. They had it for nearly 40 minutes. So two-thirds of the game, they possessed the football. And they wore us out. We're 3 of 11 on third downs. They're 6 of 15. Big difference, 4 of 5 for them on fourth down. Some big plays for them on fourth down. And, and again, that's just challenging your manhood right there. We're just going to line up and go. And they did. They're 5 of 6 in the red zone. We're 1 of 1. We just couldn't get down there. We had a sack. They had a sack. Both of us made all our PATs. They missed a field goal. We made we made our one attempt. It's just it's an insanity. Real quick here, let's look at the uh, look at the numbers. You know, we'll have a seventeen or twenty three for two thirty, and you look at that and say, you know what? Hey, that's a winning effort when you you know couple that with the fact that you uh, had a guy run for nearly two hundred yards. You got Rodriguez going for right at for one ninety seven and a couple touchdowns. He's averaging 6.4 yards a carry. I mean, goodness, why would you ever take him off the field, right? Will, 25 of 37 for 203, a touchdown and a pick. And, of course, sack just the one time. Uh, Dylan Johnson, your leading rusher, two carries for 16 yards. Uh, the 16 yards came on one play. The other, he was uh, no no gain. Uh, Jaquavius Marks, your leading receiver, seven catches for 60 yards. Austin, three for 34. Ducking, five for 32. Jaden Wally, 2 for 32. Ra Ra, 1 for 15. Tulu, 1 for 10. Simeon Price, 2 for 10. Dylan Johnson, 3 for 5. Rufus Harvey, 1 for 5. Defensive numbers, Buki Watson, 17 total tackles. Well, you expect that, you know, against a running team. You expect a linebacker to do good. Decam with 11 tackles. Jed Johnson with 10. Colin Duncan with 9. Jackie Matthews with 7. Nathan Pickering with 5. Jordan Davis with 4. Pickering also credited with a hurry. Cameron Young with four. Tyrus Wheat with three. I mean, you run down the list here defensively, you made a bunch of tackles, but a lot of those were because you were chasing the play. And when you look at their brand of offense, they're going to line up and just run the football right at you. Yeah, you're going to make a bunch of tackles in the front six. But 17 tackles for Bookie Watson, I tell you, he would trade every one of them for a win. Very disappointing effort. Very disappointing effort. And um, love the team. Love everything about the program, but, uh, you know, we're not winning enough. You know, we're not – we're not, and it's like I'm not going to sit here and throw the baby out with the bathwater after back-to-back wins over SEC West opponents. We can still have a decent season. But we, we've kind of squandered away the opportunity to have a great season. And maybe you upset somebody and you have a good season. But I think we're going to look back at this as an opportunity lost. And that's four consecutive trips up there. And every and the thing about this one that makes it different to me 
is they were the most physical team basically every snap. Yeah, you look back at 16, you know, we had sermonitis. We, you know, poor play calling that last defensive drive cost us a ball game. You look at 18, it was just a complete implosion. Had some bad officiating. We didn't play up to our potential. And that, that was a it was a 14-7 game in the fourth quarter when Brian Cole picked that pass off in Kentucky territory. And you think, hey, we're still in it. When Kentucky really got this ground game going, I don't think we were ever really in it. I mean, I, I think when you look at this whole situation, you could kind of see it trending that way. In the first quarter, we did a decent job against the run. And then every quarter, they got a little more successful. Every quarter. In the fourth quarter, they didn't, they didn't have quite as much yards per carry. It's because they're just trying to eat up clock. It's disappointing. It is. And, again, to me, it's inexcusable that a team with this kind of leadership and this much experience could go on the road and lay an egg like that. Again, at LSU, you kind of expect some of that because it's the most difficult place to play in all college football. The Kentucky atmosphere is not hostile, and I get tired of reading that. Like, that's people that have never been to a game there, and that's not a shot at Kentucky fans. They support their team. But as somebody that's been to every venue in the SEC, I can tell you they're not even in the top half of, of hostile environments. Hey, they're, they turn out. They do. They'll show up. They said it was a sellout game. I tweeted out some pictures. It wasn't even close to capacity. The people that were there cared, obviously. But going to Kroger Field is not at all like going to Tiger Stadium. In that respect, even going to Razorback Stadium. I don't know that Razorback Stadium is especially hostile, but they're right on top of you. It's loud in there. It's not like going between the hedges. It's not like going to Auburn. It's not. So you went into an environment that is not conducive for success, but it's not one that will just swallow you alive like some others. And so, yes, I'm disappointed. Uh, Yes, I still believe in our team. But the reality of it is, is we have missed a golden opportunity to really take the next step as a program. How much fun would it be right now to be 6-1 and one looking forward to playing Alabama? Even at 6-1, and one, I wouldn't expect us to go win that game. But it's amazing how that setback against Kentucky changes the complexion of your season and really the outlook of, of everything. We always overreact. Wins are too big. Losses are too significant. That's all the reality. you got to look at things through the totality of the season. But to me, this one is really a gut punch. It really is. It absolutely is because, you know, based on the fact that we've got Alabama and Georgia left, and look at what Ole Miss is doing. Look at what their offense is. Those guys can run the football successfully. Look at what Auburn's ground game did. I mean, right now, the only game I think you can assume is a win right now is East Tennessee State, and that gets you to six. Are you, would you be happy with a six-and-six six season? You absolutely wouldn't. A six-and-six six season with three consecutive losses in the Egg Bowl? No. Instead of us taking a step forward, that's a step back. You know, we went four and seven and seven and five, and you think, okay, if we can have an eight and four regular season, which that's not unrealistic to expect, that we're going to be one game better, right? And then we're not. We end up being a game worse. I I think you look at this and you begin to think, you know what, hey, I, I don't know if I have as much confidence in the trajectory of the program as maybe I did. I mean, again, a lot, there's a lot of game left to play. And I know we're trying to suggest that. I'm not going to sit here now that the season's over. Because as good as we felt last Monday, we could feel that good again very, very soon. 
But listen, nobody expects us to go beat Alabama. I mean, with the line is 21. We haven't been able to score a touchdown against those guys, right? So we're just going to kind of endure that weekend and hopefully we can beat, beat Auburn. Hopefully we can get out of Alabama not being too physically beaten up and we get back home and beat Auburn. That gets you six, and all of a sudden you start thinking you get East Tennessee State gives you seven, and you never know what kind of shape Ole Miss is going to be in when we play them. But, again, that game's on the road against a running team. And that's the thing I began to look, look at my mind. It's, okay, well, all right, we don't, as long as we don't have to play some mobile quarterback – Right? Somebody that can make plays, you know, with their feet when protection breaks down. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't want to play, you know, a team that's just going to line up in an unbalanced line and go right at us too because we're, we're having difficulty doing that. So Zach Garnett's got to figure it out. He does. And I'm a Zach Garnett fan, and I'm confident that he will. But you got to figure this out. Because what happened Saturday on both sides of the football cannot be repeated this year. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you as always by clotheswithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, a friend of those in need. A lot of people out there are struggling today financially. Maybe it's time to consolidate some debt. Maybe it's time to buy a home. A lot, a lot of challenges out there. You need a mortgage professional to help you through that process. Contact Blair. You can do it by his personal cell number. You're not going through a receptionist. You're getting directly to the man himself. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard, and he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage approved. Blair's going to take care of some of that for you. Again, that's closedblair.com. All right. So since we're all kind of melancholy today, we're going to do Sarah McLaughlin. How about that? Love Sarah McLaughlin, one of the best singers of my generation. An incredible singer. Love how she uses the lower register and is not just operatic and everything she does. So here we go. Number 10, from album number two, the album is Solace. The, the track is The Path of Thorns. She really hit, hit the scene big time when women's music in the alternative and top 40 world really exploded in the 90s. It was her third album, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, that really made her a superstar. And uh, we're going to go to that album with your number nine song, Hold On. Great track, inspirational track. Number eight from the album Afterglow, which I believe is her fifth album. It's the track Fallen. The follow-up uh, to the surfacing album, which was a huge hit for her. Back to Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. It's the number seven song, Ice Cream. Your love is better than ice cream, better than anything I've ever known. That's true. I mean that to each of you. It's true. Not that I don't love ice cream. I do. That's quite the compliment to you. Number six, from the album, album Surfacing, it's a great track, Sweet Surrender. A little bit of a deep track there. Great track. Staying with the surfacing album, which in many respects is the best uh, Sarah McLaughlin album, is the track Adia. Number five, I tried to name one of my daughters Adia because I was such a big fan, but um, couldn't quite, quite get the mom to go along with it, right? Because uh, Adia, I do believe I failed you. We thought there'd be a negative connotation to the name, even though it was a cool name. All right, number four, the song that you see all the time with the... Um, with ASPCA, right? The uh, trying to take care of animals. It's I will remember you. 
I think that's the one. Either way, that's a great track. Played a lot of funerals. All right, number three, if it isn't I Will Remember You, it is definitely this one. No, I think it is this one now that, now that I'm kind of stumbling my way through this. From the surfacing album, it's the track Angel, In the Arms of an Angel. Beautiful track. Number two, probably the biggest hit off the surfacing album, it's Building a Mystery. Love that one. Love everything about it. I think that vocal is absolutely perfect. I think this is her at her best. All right, number one, though. A song that is often misunderstood. We've talked about this on the show before. It's the great song, Possession. But it's not about a healthy relationship. Like, you read some of that, and it sounds like such a romantic song. You know, kiss you so hard, I'll take your breath away. Basically, she took the words of stalkers. You know, she had a couple albums out there. She's a beautiful woman, very, very talented, very accessible publicly. And she got letters from stalkers. And she basically took some of those phrases and turned it into this amazing song. It's Possession. I love the music on this one. I love the lyrics on this one. Everything about this song. It's very dark and sinister in some respects when you look at it from that point of view. It's not a love song. It kind of sounds that way, but it's kind of creepy when you think about these are people that are kind of harassing her through the mail. She could, I mean, there's many women today that could write that same song. They may not be able to deliver the same uh, you know, vocal content of Sarah McLaughlin, but the social media has made it much easier for people to send these uh, creepy messages. So there you go. From Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, which was the breakthrough album for Sarah McLaughlin. It is the hit song, Possession. That's your number one track on today's top ten list. Because, again, we're feeling a little bit melancholy today. So I thought, you know, the songs and the mood of her music matches our mood. Not happy. If you have ideas for a top ten list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter. That's Roy Samante, my friend. Hit him up. At Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Also, you can follow along there. Roy doesn't have a lot of extraneous Twitter content, too. He's not going to be posting pictures of his food or anything like that. and He's not that guy. Roy also gainfully employed these days, too. So congratulations to Roy. It's difficult, man, when you get to be a guy like us from the 1900s, sometimes kind of entering, re-entering uh, the job market. Worked out well for Roy. He was uh, pretty much in demand, had some opportunities out there, found a great job doing what he's been doing before. So we're very happy uh, for Roy. But you can follow him on Twitter as he shares his wonderful list. He puts them on Spotify free of charge. And you can go to Spotify and check them out too. A lot of people have told me when they're out traveling, sometimes it's good to get a new playlist. I listened, I mentioned Skid Row. I listened to the new Skid Row album in its entirety, I think four times yesterday on the way home. And I listened to the new Queensryche album. If you're, if you're a fan of Queensryche, and you certainly should be, this is the best album, I think, since Tyler Tor has been in the band. It sounds a little Iron Maiden-ish at times, but you get a little bit deeper into it. I think the second half of that album is as good as anything that maybe Queensryche has done since the Empire album. And when you talk about this Skid Row album, it is the best Skid Row album since Slave to the Grind. And that... The bar is pretty low, to be quite honest with you. I love Skid Row. I love Sebastian Bach. I did think that Subhuman Race was a disappointment. It was kind of a department, department, a departing of what they did initially. I think Slaves of the Grind is a masterpiece. And, and for those of you that don't know, 
Slave to the Grind, the first ever heavy metal album to debut at number one on the Billboard Top 100. It's incredible to think about that, right? The, the self-titled debut album was really good. It was a little bit poppy in parts. But Slave to the Grind was very much what they wanted to do. This is more in that vein. It's the classic Skid Row sound. Sebastian is not with the band, but the new singer, an outstanding singer, and can hit those big notes. I'm eager to see them live. They recently played in Tunica uh, at the casino up there, and we were out of town covering a ball game. So couldn't go then. But uh, listen, this album is, is doing great. Uh, just released a few days ago in its entirety. And I can, I can give you my seal of approval. If you like hard rock and you like metal and you think back and you wonder whatever happened to Skid Row, they're back. And uh, their social media presence has been really good too. Their, their reaction to the new album has been very good. My favorite track on that album is Hell or High Water. That's the lead track on the album. There is a great power ballad too called October Song. It's really good. The debut single is The Gang's All Here. And they kind of give you an update and kind of mention some of the characters that were um, that were mentioned in that first album. So very clever writing there. And again, check it out. You'd be glad you did. We've done a Skid Row top ten before. We won't. We won't. We redo one for a while. But I, I highly, highly, highly recommend that album. I think that you're going to be really excited uh, about that. And again, that Queensrÿche album too. And uh, Roy and I will be seeing them next month with Judas Priest at the Lander Center. Excited about that. I haven't seen Queensryche since the Empire Tour, and I've never seen Judas Priest. And you'd say, Steve, that sounds sacrilegious. Well, maybe it is. I did see Steve Vai over the weekend. I've never been to see Steve Vai as a solo performer before. Saw him uh, this past Friday at the Lyric in Birmingham. Outstanding. Kind of made a bit of a detour on my way to Lexington. Went and checked it out. Sat by myself. Met some other rock fans. And then left and um, spent the night in North Tennessee. Pushed on to Lexington, and uh, you know what happened up there. And so long drive home yesterday, as I've said before. But uh, as long as I've got rock and roll, I'm forever young. All right, time for the next segment of the show, our SEC recap brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. I haven't been in there in a couple weeks, but uh, we'll be there soon. We'll, we'll do some signings there as we get uh, a little bit deeper into the season. How much season left, right? Uh, so be sure and check those guys out at Campus Bookmart whenever you're in town. Very easy to find. You'll be glad you did. In addition to that, if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to find them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's internet at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Mom, you may not want to look at the calendar, but we're just over two months away from Christmas. Make your Christmas shopping simple by making a trip to campusbookmart.net because everybody wants new Mississippi State merch. You'll be glad you did that. Make your shopping very simple and also support a Starkville business in the process. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at the week that was Ole Miss, 48-34 win. And, you know, we talked about that on the show. I, I didn't think Auburn would be able to keep this game close. They did. You know, Ole Miss jumps out to, what, a 21 nothing lead. The next thing you know, you look at Auburn comes roaring back. And it seemed like it was going to be a bit of a shootout. And give Lane Kiffin some credit here. I think they kind of realized we're having trouble stopping these guys. 
So they score and go ahead, and then they kick the onside kick. It was executed near perfectly. Auburn completely surprised on the play. They review it. It was clearly correct, the call in the field. He was definitely beyond the 10-yard marker. That's onions right there, guys. You can say what you want to about Lane Kiffin. That's winning a football game. That's like, you know what? We may not be able to stop him anyway, so let's take a chance right here and get the ball back. They do. They punch it and score. And then, of course, there was the uh, lightning and weather delay down there. But, you know, Ole Miss wins 48-34. And what can you say, too? I mean, I, let's, just, let's, let's just call it for what it is. There were many people, including myself, that really thought Lane Kiffin would struggle some this year without Jeff Labby. And you look at the Oklahoma thing, and it's like Ole Miss got the better end of this deal. You know, Oklahoma has, uh, you know, of course, they got it together a little bit last week, but they have not been great offensively. I know it's just year one. It's unfair to judge anybody in year one. But that said, you lose Jeff Labby, and offensively, even without Matt Corral, who was picked as an NFL quarterback, this offense has kind of reinvented itself and has become more of a run-first scheme. They're undefeated, ranked in the top ten. What? How can you knock it? I mean, as much as I don't like those guys, you got to give credit where credit's due. I think most people expected Lane Kiffin and them to struggle without Jeff Lebby. They have not struggled offensively throughout this year. Georgia, I thought Vanderbilt might at least uh, cover the spread. I blew it and probably blew my two-game lead on everybody because uh, Vanderbilt didn't score. Georgia wins 55 to nothing. But that's the thing about this Georgia team. You just never know who's going to show up from week to week. You don't. You just, you just don't know. But here they are, 55 to nothing winners over Vanderbilt. Not much to say about there. A classic game up in Knoxville. I picked Alabama, as you guys know, because, you know, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to pick against Nick Saban. <laughs> but Tennessee absolutely wears this thing out. Now you begin to think, too, could Tennessee win the East? Yeah, they could. They controlled their own destiny. I think everybody was expecting Alabama to put a loss on Tennessee and give Georgia a little bit of a breathing room here. But instead, it's Tennessee keeping the pressure on Georgia. Sets up a huge matchup between those two. Tennessee and Georgia playing head-to-head for the right to go to Atlanta. That's pretty impressive, right? That's exciting. It's good for college football. I think we need Tennessee to be good. We need Tennessee to beat up the East for us, right? But uh, an amazing game. Tennessee, of course, gets up 28-10. Alabama comes storing back. Actually takes the lead late. There was a lot of concern about Bryce Young. Would he be able to start? He does. Actually plays pretty well. And then Tennessee with last second field goal. And how about that? Back-to-back years. Alabama's first loss of the year comes on a last second field goal on the road. It says a lot about Alabama. But also, too, it's, you know, back-to-back years where, uh, you know, State's going to pick them up angry after a loss. But congratulations to Tennessee fans. I thought they would be really good this year, picked them second in the East. They're even better. They're even better than I expected. And uh, some of my compatriots did pick Tennessee to win, and I tipped my cap. I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. I was like, you know what? I think Tennessee has a shot here. But how can you pick against Nick? I just couldn't do it. I couldn't pull the trigger on it. And congratulations to Tennessee and Bill Martin and all our friends up there in Knoxville. I can tell you sitting on press row, the people from Kentucky were rooting for Alabama. You could hear like a groan whenever something would happen because they hate Tennessee that much. Probably the only press conference in the Southeastern Conference 
where people weren't cheering uh, against Alabama. Arkansas beats BYU. I, I told you this would be a wild game. It was, but Arkansas really kind of took uh, took charge uh, there in the second half of that ball game, and they win uh, 52 to 35. 52 to 35. KJ Jefferson's back. They get things handled. LSU. LSU. Just when you think they're dead in the water, they put some things together. They go to the swamp and beat Florida 45-35. A lot of Florida people now are upset. They think they made a mistake in Billy Napier. It's too early to judge any of that. I thought Florida would be able to hold serve at home. They weren't. It wasn't a good week for your good friend and host. I can say that. It was not a good week for me. I picked Ole Miss to win. They did. I picked Georgia to win. They did. Picked Alabama to win. They lost. Picked Arkansas to win. They did. But picked LSU and State, Florida and State to win and both lost. So not a great week. And then when you go look at the spread, I lost to Vanderbilt pick too. But um, this is one that surprises me a little bit. But maybe it gives me some hope that maybe LSU and Arkansas and some of these teams that we have already played will kind of beat each other up and maybe help push us forward. we got to go win some games. But when you begin to think about the ball pecking order, it would be nice if LSU and Arkansas kind of figured this thing out late and maybe beat up some teams around us or some teams ahead of us, to say the least. Uh, But big win for LSU. Big. And, of course, uh, Kentucky beats Mississippi State, which continues to stink. It absolutely – and that's something that's going to stay with us for another year, probably two years, because we're not going to be able to get a chance to go back up there and play. And who knows what these teams look like in two years. No, nobody knows. You think you know, but you don't know. But the reality of it is a wild weekend uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Let's take a look ahead, just kind of take a quick peek. We're not going to preview the games. But we'll at least preview the schedule. Kind of a dead dog weekend in some respects, because there's only the five games. And the first one of the day is UT Martin at Tennessee. Tennessee now ranked third in the country. Remember when Josh Heupel got hired and people panned the hire? Like, oh, this is not going to work. It's working. Ole Miss is at LSU. That's big. That's a big ball game down there. And LSU, of course, feeling good about life. The way those, both those teams are running the football, the thing may be over in 90 minutes. Vanderbilt is at Missouri, which is good for Missouri. Maybe their last win of the year. Vanderbilt has struggled. You know, of course, they get off to the decent start and uh, have not been competitive since then. I guess they were competitive against Ole Miss for a half. But uh, interesting ball game. Uh, Missouri probably should be okay in this game, but we'll get to that later in the week. And, of course, State's at Alabama. And then Texas A&M at South Carolina – you know, the bi-week madness, you know, it, it's interesting to see. And I, I saw a comment, I guess it was Ben Portnoy that dug up today that uh, Shane Beamer is 5-0 and off a of bye week or something like that, 5-0 and when he has a week, to, an a extra week to prepare. I guess that includes bowl practices too. But coming off of having the previous weekend off, Shane Beamer's 5-0. and That's not good news for the Aggies. But, again, we'll, we'll get into that later this week. So, a thin schedule – Mississippi State, of course, playing at night. So, uh, UT Martin, Tennessee opens the day, and then your afternoon games are Ole Miss in Baton Rouge. That will be a big game. Vanderbilt at Missouri, you, you put the dog of the game uh, opposite those guys. And then State in Alabama at night, and then A&M in South Carolina at night. So, thin schedule. 
I don't know there's going to be a lot of great games. I think that Ole Miss LSU game has the ability, the chance to be a really good game. And we'll see. We'll see how things go. Be a big crowd. I'll tell you that. It'll be a big crowd in Baton Rouge at Tiger State. Probably the biggest one they've had so far this year. Be a big game. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico, our friends at Portico. Listen, I, I, I love the fact that we have these brand-new great residential developments in Starkville. Uh, Brooks Bryan, part of a great group of folks that are bringing this fantastic development basically within the shadows of campus. That's how close it is. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, but tucked away neatly and conveniently in a neighborhood, so you're not right there on 82. You're on the quiet side of campus. You turn off 82 on the 12. Take that very first right, which is Pat Station Road. Go through the four-way stop. There's Portico on the right. Go by and give yourself a self-guided tour. You'll be glad you did. Two-bedroom, two-bath homes is where you start. You go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did. I'm telling you, whether it be your primary residence, ballgame weekend retreat, your future retirement home, or just your second place, you're going to be glad you did it because it's so conveniently located to campus. Everybody want to stop and see you on their way to campus. And, and if you're a tailgater, it's so much nicer, too. You know, maybe, maybe you don't tailgate on campus. Maybe you tailgate at home, so you don't have to pack everything up and bring it over there with you. And if you do, you've got a lot less of a, a trip to make. So if you need information about Portico, and I suspect you do, give Brooks Bryan a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks Bryan a former Diamond Dog, part of two College World Series teams. He knows what Mississippi State fans want, and he knows that Starkville is a very special place. And so Brooks, part of a great group of folks, making Starkville an even better place to live. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would move. No question about it. Make Portico your next move. All right, in case you missed it, Mississippi State picked up the verbal commitment of Creed Whitemore over the weekend, and maybe that's Whitmore. i got to find out for sure, but it's W-H-I-T-T-E-M-O-R-E. Now, Creed recently took an official visit to Mississippi State. Initially, the talk was, you know, it's going to be tough to flip this guy from Florida. He comes in, has the official visit, loves the air raid. Now he's flipped. When's the last time we flipped a kid from Florida? You know, you have to go back and do the math on that. I don't know that I can tell you the last time we flipped a kid from Florida. I know when Florida's flipped some from us, but you go get a kid from Florida, and there's a lot of that. A lot of our casual fans say, hey, Steve, we never flip anybody. Well, we actually, we do. We do flip people, and we've done it with greater regularity here in the last couple of years. Leach and his staff, I think, have done a good job with that. Let's not forget Chris Parson was committed to Florida State for a long time. He did not decommit until Mississippi State really made him a, a big priority. But uh, uh, let's take a look at Creed here, and I'll have an article later today kind of you know, telling you my opinion of him, and that'll be on uh, jeanspage.com. But, um, but here's the deal. This kid's got, you know, 20 offers or so, you know, and, and was committed to the hometown Florida Gators. So he officially visits Florida in June, commits to them, and then eventually flips the state, was here just uh, October, the weekend of October 7th. He's here for the uh, Arkansas game. But offers from the Gators and the Bulldogs in Arkansas State and Florida Atlantic and Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Marshall, Maryland, Memphis, Miami, Michigan, Penn State, Texas A&M, Troy, Central Florida, Wake Forest, West Virginia, and then enters from several other schools. But in order for us to take the next step, these are the kinds of players you're going to have to go get. You can't just go get developmental kids in Mississippi, especially as offensive skill players. I mean, Jaden Wiley's been good for us, but 
it'd be nice to go out and get you know some polished players. Now, there's another element to this that needs to be considered. Now, call it a hunch, call it an educated musing, right? Maybe that's just what we're doing here. Maybe we're just throwing a shot in the dark here. But Creed has an older brother that is a, uh, a player at the University of Florida. Now, his name is Trent. He is a wide receiver, 6'3", 206 pounds. There has been some discussion that perhaps he may go into the portal. He already has his bachelor's degree, enrolled at them at uh, 2019, redshirted, played in 2020, seven games. Of course, played for Dan Mullen. And uh, last year was a redshirt sophomore, played in eight games, decent numbers. And then uh, this year's his redshirt sophomore year, and he's played every game this year. And so, you know, what, what does that mean kind of going forward? Well, you know, you begin to think if Trent elects to go in the portal and the fact that he already has his bachelor's degree, he earned it this summer, which says a lot about him to be able to do that in three years. So congratulations to him. Maybe he goes into the portal. And again, that's not, not, not going to go as far as saying that's going to happen. Let's just say that it could happen. I think it's important to understand. And so you may get two talented wideouts that are very, very polished. And if you haven't watched Creed's film, you should. But now, so what does it do for your class? Well, you're up to 36 now with 16 commitments. I think State's best hope now is probably to be uh, in the 20s. I don't know if we can get to the top 25. I think top 30 because of the lack of star power in the state this year would be big. you got to get Isaac Smith. I think, State, I think State will. State's trying to make things happen with Dante Daldell. If you get those two, all of a sudden, yeah, you could get a top 25 class. But you pick up uh, Whitmore, who is a four-star rated by 247 Sports. He is a three-star composite, just kind of on the cusp there of being a four-star. But you begin to break down this class now. We talk about 16. you got a quarterback, you got a running back, you got three receivers, three offensive linemen, defensive line, one defensive line. we got to, we got to do better there. We think we're, we're on the right track with a couple guys there. Uh, three backers, a couple DBs, special teams. And I think you're going to see – I think you're going to see one to two more OLs. And this we thought we'd get somebody from the portal. That's going to be difficult to do with all we have coming back. And I think when you look at, you know, like LaSoya last year, we thought, hey, we're losing both tackles. It'll be easy for us to go get another one. It was very difficult for us to get another one. So we get LaSoya, who ends up being our left guard, a guy that we hope will be able to compete at right tackle. And that's not in any way a shot at his ability. His versatility has been great for us because he snapped the football and probably played pretty well under the circumstances. But I think you could see two high school offensive linemen, two, rather than a high school guy and a transfer, unless you get a high school guy and a JC guy. And then these JC guys, you know, a lot of these guys don't have a lot of maybe college football acumen is the right word. It takes them a year to kind of figure it out on this level. So we'll see how things go. And you don't really gain anything by redshirting those guys anymore, not with the portal. So, of the 16 commitments, nine are from Mississippi, three from the great state of Tennessee, one from Florida, one from Georgia, one from Louisiana, and one from Texas. And so, we talk about 
you've got to be able to supplement where the in-state talent pool is a little bit shallow with out-of-state players. And we've been able to do that so far. So a good start in many respects, but uh, got some work to do. I had wanted to go see Chris Parson and or Joe Crocker play this past weekend on my way to Lexington, but both of them actually had a bye week. So I'll make some plans at some point and try to get up there and see Chris play. Season's going to be over before we know it. Maybe Halloween weekend I'll run up there and see those guys play. Maybe. We'll see. I, I, I want to go see Parson in person. I know we've, I've had some friends that have gone to watch him play and say, kid puts on a show. And, and I want to see. I want to see in person. So I don't think we take another quarterback. I do think there's a possibility we take another running back. You don't say no to Dante Dowdell if he wants to come. And I think, listen, I've shared with you guys before, I believe we kind of missed the boat early on by not being as aggressive on him as we should be. And now he's kind of reconsidering some things. There's a good chance he takes an official visit to state. Supposed to be here for the Auburn home game. I know Ole Miss is working hard. You know, you look at – that Ole Miss running game right now, too, when you look at the fact that, uh, you know, they've got some young guys, too, that are going to be around for a couple of years. You know, maybe that works in state's favor. Don't know. But I know Ole Miss is trying hard to get them. This could be a, you know, good old-fashioned state Ole Miss recruiting battle to the very end. We talk about the three receivers. Uh, Steve Spurrier Jr. has told me that every single year he goes in expecting to get four. He said every single year. That's the – because with the portal, you, you can't say, okay, it's a two-receiver class. And then you get down to it and guys leave and you have not been recruiting other players. But uh, expecting to get maybe one more receiver, one more. And I think with Creed jumping into class, maybe Santana Fleming, maybe his standing is maybe a little bit iffy right now. You know, we'll, we'll see how things go. But Creed also expected to be a mid-year enrollment guy, which is great for State. You're going to handful those guys that are going to be able to come in uh, and, and that's the thing, too, is if you, if you are academically eligible to do that, it's not like the J.C. signing where you have to count those guys back. If you come in uh, – when you come in, if you can come in in January, you can count forwards or backwards if you're a high school guy. Like if you're an early enrollment guy, you can count forwards or backwards. Important to kind of understand that. Uh, but, again, I like this wide receiver group so far. It wouldn't hurt to have uh, a guy with some production out there. And, again, maybe that's, maybe that's Trent, right? You know, we'll see how things go. But uh, the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, State, I think, has kind of met most of their needs on the offensive side of the football unless Dante Dowdell comes and you get a couple of offensive linemen. But we're going to be defensive heavy. Got to get big on that defensive line for sure. Feel confident about where we are at backer. And you got to get some more DBs because we're going to have a lot of safeties. We need safeties in this class, to say the least. There, there's no question about it. You know, of course, uh, you know, Gabe, uh, Gabe Moore is a guy that we're expected to commit to Mississippi State uh, sooner rather than later, a big defensive lineman out of uh, Louisville, Mississippi. Uh, but uh, the reality of it is, is you've got a lot of guys still in state that are kind of targets for Mississippi State. So the potential to put a really good class together is, remains there. And, uh, you know, Gabriel Moore, of course, is an unranked prospect. But uh, I look at his film, I don't even really care about that. But uh, you got Joseph Head. You're still kind of chasing Caleb Bryant a little bit. And he needs to play well. I mean, and, and the reality of it is, is I think Caleb Bryant's a great player. But this is a guy, too, that probably needs a year or two in the weight room. And most of those guys on the defensive line do. You know, a lot of those guys kind of get bound as being bigger and stronger 
against the guys they're playing against in high school. Against in high school, so they need to show up and really commit themselves to the weight room. And that's a college weight room. I'm not saying they're not working hard on the high school level, but the plan, the strength and conditioning plan on a college level, is much much different, as you guys know. I think Caleb is a guy that really benefit from that. But again. I feel okay about recruiting. I can't say I feel great about recruiting, but I feel okay about recruiting. And uh, we've got to finish. We've got to finish. And I think getting Dante Daldell and Isaac Smith would go a long way towards making that happen. Isaac Smith, of course, Mississippi State's last three home games, he was there. I understand there is a good possibility of him being here for the Auburn game. When guys keep showing up, it's like, you know, you keep going to the barbershop, eventually you get the haircut, right? We talk about it's not just guys' words, but what do their actions say? When you've got a guy that has been on your campus multiple times this year, and I, I know of a half dozen of them, Isaac Smith has been on campus more than some of the commitments have. And so his actions kind of lead you to believe that uh, Mississippi State is in a good position here. And that's important. And, again, there's a lot left. You know, we still got two months left between now and now full signing day. But I feel good about that. And, again, this, the late rush with Dante Daldell gives you a little bit of hope. But at this point, I don't think you can project him. You just got to keep working. You got to get him on campus, get him here for a visit. He grew up kind of cheering for Mississippi State. But I think in some respects there's some relationship rebuilding that has to take place here. And I think Jason Washington is the guy for that. If you've been around Jason – you kind of understand what I'm talking about. Coach Washington is very gregarious, smiles real easy, very energetic. And then you look at the, you know, the advancements this year. Saturday was standing, okay? You look at the advancements in the Bulldog running game this year over the two previous years, I think you look at that and say, okay, th- this could be an attractive offense for me even if I'm not carrying the football 20 or 25 times a game. And so Dante Daldell is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, at Picayune, and I said before, if, if, if they let us run whatever we wanted to in the all-star game, we'll just run the Picayune offense. I don't know there's anybody in, in the state of Mississippi that plays better with a lead than Picayune because they just shorten the game on you. They're getting that unbalanced line and just absolutely wear you out. And there were sometimes, too, you look at it, Dante Daldell, you say, well, he's a product of the system. I just don't think that's the case. I think with his athleticism – and the fact that uh, the, the size that he has and the passion for the game that he has, I think he could, he could be the best picking running back in the modern era on the college level. I think he's that good. I, I don't think this is a guy that's just kind of benefiting from the, of the scheme that he runs. And we've dealt with that a lot on the other side of things with Will, right? But, uh, you know, you, all of a sudden you start seeing some, you know, some flicker here of uh, some hope for a, maybe a nice close down the stretch for State. And, of course, uh, getting Creed yesterday is big. But then you start looking at the possibilities of adding Dowdell and adding Isaac Smith. I, I think you can begin to, to think, you know what, this is something that could be very significant for Mississippi State. Because here's the deal. In order for us to catch, you know, Alabama and LSU and people like that, we have got to find a way to kind of narrow – the gap on a talent standpoint. you got to develop players, and that's one thing that I give Dan Mullen and his staff a lot of credit for, is not only could they go out and identify the guys that were talented, but guys that had a little bit left in the tank when it came to the development side of things. That's a huge part of this, too. 
you know, I don't know that we've always been able to develop players. But under Dan Mullen, we have. And so when I so when I add those two players, Dante Dowdell and Isaac Smith, uh, to the um, recruiting rankings, and of course that's still very fluid. I encourage people all the time, take a lot of that with a grain of salt, you know, because there's a lot of variables and things begin to change. That would get you in the top 25 alone as it stands today. If you add those two players, all of a sudden Mississippi State has a top 25 recruiting class and, of course, some room to work with, too. you still got some, you know, some gaps to fill and you still got some, some scholarships to account for. And so most of this class, I said, hey, State's probably going to be in the top 30, maybe a top 25 class if you get, get, get some things to fall your way, and maybe they will. Maybe they will. But in order for us, again, to kind of, kind of gain ground, we got to be able to add talent. We can't just depend on developmental players. we got to recruit at a higher level. And I think in many respects we have. But in order for us, I, I think what Saturday shows you is it's not always about talent. Are we more talented than Kentucky? Probably. But Chris Rodriguez is an absolute monster. He is, and you got Will Levis up there, a guy that his production's not been amazing. But guys, obviously, kind of the heart and soul of that team. But I don't think we got out-talented. I think we got out-coached. I think we got out-executed. And Mike Leach will tell you the same. And Mike said some things in postgame. And that's the last thing I'm going to say before we get out of here. He said some things in postgame. And it's like it's incredible how people hear what they want to hear. Oh, he threw his team under the bus. He threw everybody under the bus. Himself. The coaches, players, so we got fat, dumb, and happy. And he said, if some of our coaches said some cute things and we didn't get our message across, he said, we got outcoached. And that's one thing. like I've never been a fan of this, like, winning the press conference thing. It's like, well, people say, well, he never takes any accountability. I don't care. Just go win the football game. That's all I care about. I don't care what you say. I don't care what your favorite color is. I don't care who your favorite Smurf is. I don't care any of that stuff. Just go win the football game. But I thought it was classic Leach on Saturday night. And uh, he said some things that were true. Some people didn't like them, but they're true. But he didn't throw his team under the bus. He, went, he put himself and the coaching staff right there with him. It was a failure at every level, and Mike Leach said that. We get, we get awfully sensitive about that sort of stuff. We really do. Oh, in the press conference, he didn't say this or he said that. You can't win. When you lose, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can say. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what people say. It's like, well, we lost. I wish he'd have taken some accountability. I don't even care. Who cares? Just go win the next game. Just go win the next game. Just win. As Al Davis said, just win, baby. That's all that matters. Just win. It's like, so is it going to make the loss easier to deal with if a coach gets up there and says it's 100% on me? It's not true. But does that make any difference? Does it make you feel better? I mean, it doesn't change anything. Just go win. Speaking of winning, you can win today by going to dogpiledbook.com and get uh, signed and personalized copies of Dogpile, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs. I have people all the time that think dogpile doc, the, the book.com is just for Dogpile. All the books are there, the sports books. And then, of course, the Blooms of Oleander available uh, through barnesandnoble.com, Amazon, booksmillion.com, Barnes & Noble, everywhere, and your local bookstore can order for you, too. Uh, reach out, let us know if we can help you with all that. And Stark Villains gear, of course, available at StarkVillains.com. Starting to see a lot more orders as of late, too. It's about to be hoodie season, too. Maybe, Mom, you get everybody a Stark Villain hoodie, too. 
they're they're cool. They really are. I'm really proud of the work they've done. Uh, the Deep South Pout Company's done a great job with that. I appreciate Jason and those guys' efforts to help make this thing really happen. But that's it for today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.